Today's episode is presented by Lodestar, the fee experts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of Lodestar's Lending Leaders. Uh, joined here uh, with me today is Tim Nguyen, um, CEO and founder of uh, BeSmarty, a uh, longtime partner of Lodestar, uh, longtime industry um, contributor, really, um, industry magnet, I guess. Uh, we'll, we'll go with that term, Tim. Um, and thanks so much for coming on. Happy to have you. Hey, likewise, Jim. Thanks for yeah. having me on your uh, podcast. So you're super dynamic in the the industry. Really excited to kind of dive into some of the um, you know things that you're working on right now. Kind of get your take on folks. But what what got you into the industry in the first place? You know, did you just wake up and say, "I want to start a point of sale system for mortgage"? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, my entrance into the mortgage space was really accidental. Mm-hmm. I was in my third year of college. Mm-hmm. The mortgage industry was booming hanging out at a buddy's house, doing what college kids do. Um, he had actually graduated college a couple of years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually had a real job, right? And he's like, hey, I'm going to go do an appraisal. Do you want to stay here mm-hmm. or do you want to come with me and hang out? I'm like, oh, I'll go with you and hang out. Sit in the car, comes back with, I think it was like a $250, $300 check. Like, how'd you do that? I, I want to make some money. Like, teach me. I, I can do that, I think. Mm-hmm. So he got me in. It was just so happened to you. He was actually leaving to Washington Mutual at the time to be a loan officer. Mm-hmm. So leaving that office, there was going to be a vacancy. He brought me in, learned that side of the business, mm-hmm. um, got into some uh, originations as well, but ultimately really found my home in the back end of the business. Mm-hmm. Just not a you know type A type salesperson. Didn't see myself doing that all the time, but I love crunching numbers, moving mm-hmm. data around. Back then, a lot of paper. Yeah. Um, so eventually, started a, a nationwide appraisal management company mm-hmm. um, that grew into nationwide title settlement escrow services as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and was lucky enough to exit that in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, exited, and we realized that we really wanted to build Be Smarty again. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting story there. So once I had that responsibility off my table, my wife and I were going to take a year off, uh, end up being a month off. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, got, got uh, anxious and decided to get BeSmart back up and running again. So started working on the code. So from 2014 to 2016, mm-hmm. worked on the code and went live about 30, 30 days after Rocket Mortgage went live with their solution. Oh, wow. Yeah. So which actually is interesting because if you go back to, mm-hmm. um, and I said BeSmart again, because what happened was in 2006, 2007, the mortgage industry tanked. This is right when New Century Mortgage went yeah. under. And I started getting phone calls from borrowers and borrowers and sob stories, right? I'm going to lose my home. I don't know what a NAGAM mortgage is. How right. the heck did this happen? And it got me really curious about the mortgage industry. Caught up some of my clients and friends. Say, hey, mm-hmm. how does that world, that business work? Learned that and, and it just dawned on me like there could be a better way. Mm-hmm. An easier, faster, more transparent mortgage process for consumers. And hopefully if we had that, maybe it could have really helped people. If they just truly understood the, what they're getting themselves into, yeah. what it's going to cost, what the ramifications are. And it was an easy process. People can make a good decision for their lives. And that's how Be Smart to get started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talk about being a glutton for punishment. Just exited one business, and I don't know if it's a serial entrepreneur or masochist or a little bit of both of like, hey, let's just get back into this. <laughs> Last time I do that. Yeah. This, oh yeah. Own <laughs> yeah. and and the be smarty. So <laughs> fair enough. No, I, I I completely you know can can uh can understand that. And I think the clarity in the process is a really important thing. I um just went through it um myself, and it amazed me how 
um, unclear still. A lot of other folks of parts of the process are if you don't know what you're looking for or a title company and, and giving us a quote um, did something. They put an expanded loan policy or an expanded title policy, 3000 extra dollars that I didn't need to pay. Right. That just got tacked on to um, the quote. Right. So just like little things like that um, still still amaze me. Yeah, you're not the the guy that uh, people should be calling around fees to, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was I was all over that. I already knew what title company I was going to use, so it was uh, it was funny. But um, so one question that we're asking everyone this season is, what is your personal lodestar? What is kind of those guiding principles, people, experiences in your life that affects you know how you um, how you operate at the end of the day? Yeah, I think you're alluding to my LinkedIn profile, perhaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because when we sold the last company, right, Mm -hmm. and we started this new company, I updated my LinkedIn and I told my wife, like, gosh, we work a lot. Like, I'm just going to be real. Either you love it and you want to work with me or or you don't. And that's totally cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what I shared in that was there's really three things that kind of made me who I am, I guess, at the end of the day. And that was, you know, well, the first thing was war. Mm-hmm. Right, my parents were Vietnamese refugees, so the ramifications of a, a free country versus communist country, you know, what they went through as refugees and boat people, and the and, and just all the bad things that happened over there, and the death and the misery, really drove home to me. Right, and it mm-hmm. really makes me who I am today. Um, the other thing I would say is poverty, mm-hmm. um, and when I say poverty, I'm not talking about. Um, well, I am talking about the money part of it. Right. You know, my first bed was on the floor because my parents were refugees and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's hard to make a living. Right. Especially in a new country. You don't know the language. Mm -hmm. They really struggled through that. And um, but we were rich in family. Right. We're rich in education. Mm -hmm. Just have the financial, you know, um, monetary, you know, resources that 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 people you know had after building you know lives for a long time here Mm -hmm. in, in America. So that's what I meant by poverty, right? It's just a financial component of it, but rich in other areas, right? I give mm-hmm. up a lot from my mom and dad and instilling the values that I have today. And the last thing is business. Mm-hmm. Came from, come from their entrepreneurial family on that dates back to my great great grandpa. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always at the dinner table. Um, we're talking about it. My kids will hear about it. Uh, I'm pretty sure they'll probably follow in some type of business entrepreneurial footstep. Mm-hmm. Um, hope you know, just really at the end of the day, hoping to lead a good example for them. But those are really the three things that, that I think mm-hmm. makes me who I am today. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. And I have a, a similar, and when I'm in my office behind me, my four great grandfathers all ran a different business, all four of them. Um, and I have a little picture and memento from, from any one of those businesses. And uh, one thing I always think about with that is like, they're not doing it because they have a cool product idea or an app or, you know, work-life balance or anything like that, right? Like it was just kind of how you provided. So how do you kind of, you know, hold that um, with what you've seen in your family, like before, like, you know, how do, how do we differ? Um, or do you, you know, even feel like it's a point. choice? Do you even feel like, do you even feel like it's a choice? You're like, this is just what I do. Like, I'm not going to go work for anyone else. <laughs> this is just, I don't feel yeah. like it was a choice. They certainly didn't sit yeah. there and say, you have to do it this way. Yeah. My parents were actually very um, novel to the idea, like do what you love, do what makes you happy, do something mm-hmm. you can do for a long time. Right. Yeah. I just so gravitated toward it because I heard about it all the time. Both parents mm-hmm. own different businesses. 
extend a family owns different businesses just been around this so much but it's interesting point you make is you know a lot of us start businesses because we want to do something special we want to change the world want to yeah. make things better we want to make money want to be successful right all those things some people do because they feel like it's who they are they feel like it completes them and some people do because it's a life or death in, in many cases, right? Especially mm-hmm. if you think other countries where like you got to make a living, yeah. you got to go out there and hustle and start something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think it was a, it started off with like, this is just who I am, this is what I grew up with. And somewhere in the middle of it all, it became like, this is what I, this is life, yeah. right? This is death. Like I got to do, I got to be successful at it, um, no matter what it took, right? I think more so lately as I grow older and have kids now, um, that mentality has completely changed. Mm-hmm. I do because I, I I want to see my employees grow. Mm-hmm. I want to see the company grow. I want to see my community grow. I want to see my clients grow. That mm-hmm. satisfaction drives me more than you know the mission to to, to exceed, right. you know excel no matter what. And that's one um, thing you mentioned on LinkedIn, kind of that social responsibility of the business, and how do you you know juggle that with keeping the lights on, making payroll, you know, making profit. Um, well, good financial controls helps. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I don't worry about that too much anymore because we have, I mean, I predict my cash flow, for example, within 10%, 12 months out, 18 months out, right? We do these exercises regularly. So we're very prudent on that. We're prudent on that because I've made those mistakes in the past where I had to refinance the house to make payroll, right? I don't want to put my family in that position again, or even the employees, right? Because they had to get delayed and you know, wait right. for their money. Never want to be in that position again. So very financially prudent mm-hmm. um, and planning. And I think if you do those things, you can keep yourself out of those typical mm-hmm. um, entrepreneurial startup journeys issues. Yeah, I think the number one reasons most companies fail is they run out of cash. Yeah, We do everything we can not to run out of cash. It's usually not the vision, not the idea, not the execution, not the working hard, not yeah. the, right? but cash. If you don't have the cash, you can't make things happen. You don't have the relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And then that just turns into time, right? There's a, a Vince Lombardi quote, I never lost a game. We just ran out of time. And right. I feel like that's the case <laughs> with that. a lot of businesses, right? Because cash is time, right? That's how long you can keep the lights on and how long you can, you know, give opportunities a chance to go. And you talked about, you know, um, startup mistakes, but at the same time, we're in an industry that it's super cyclical. Layoff, layoffs are not uncommon right now. Mortgage companies are shutting down right now. So I don't think it's a lesson just for startups at the end of the day. And do you feel like this is a lesson that can be better absorbed throughout the industry we're in? Like, is there a, a way to avoid, you know, all of these layoffs that you end up seeing? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, when I think about our own company, um, the proper planning, like we all knew the volume was going to drop 35%. Right. And like most we forecasted a gradual decline. Mm-hmm. We, 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 and I've seen this before in the last two, three down cycles, right? Yeah. Dating myself here. So I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. And we did make that mistake again. We, we forecasted our 5% drop, but we didn't forecast the velocity of which it was going to drop. Yeah. Right. And that put us in a weird predicament that we had a correct course on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of this is avoidable. Mm-hmm. Now we are a SaaS company. Right where we're widgets, right? It, it's just a different type of revenue model. Yeah. But when I look at service revenues, like our clients with mortgage companies, mm-hmm. it's going to be avoidable, but less avoidable, mm-hmm. right? And what I would say is automation, you know, take the time to do things right the first time. 
Yeah. Right. So that you can capitalize off the boom because there will be another one. May not be a two percent boom, but it'll be another boom. Mm-hmm. And there's always gonna be another down. Right. And if you could, you know, automate as much as you can and hone your processes and your people mm-hmm. and just simply operate much more effectively during good times, mm-hmm. you're gonna reap the rewards during bad times. In the mortgage space, I think it'll be hard no matter how much automation you have as a lender to just you know to avoid layoffs altogether. Yeah. But I think, I think it comes down to product it. mix, right? Because it's it's easy to chase those refis when interest rates are good, but those are the things that dry up. Oh gosh, yeah. Good. I've been talking to some clients where I was like, hey, my business dropped 80%. Mm-hmm. Well, what was how's the mix? Well, what is no more refis? Like, well, we, we all knew that. Yeah. Um, what are we doing, right? What are you doing to move to a purchase environment? And you know, they're doing it now, but that should have been happening a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. We always like, you know, people always tell us, I can't invest right now. I don't have any time. I'm too busy. Yep. us now, um, you know, times are bad and I don't have the budget for it. It's like, but then when? Yeah. Right. So I would recommend, like we do this all the time, is we just carve out, like in our business, tech debt, right? We mm-hmm. carve out a certain percentage of resources every month, no matter the, 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 the time, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Fix that tech debt, tech debt. Lenders should do the same thing, right? You have operational debt, you know, efficiency debt. Right, just oh, things, yeah, especially when you're busy too, we're yeah. not going to fix this process. You know, I don't know how many lenders are um, familiar with the term of technical debt, but it's basically things that you need to go back and fix, right, at the end of the day. And I feel like when lenders are expanding fast, they accumulate that like crazy. And now they're just kind of building on these duct taped systems and processes that they have put together. Um, and then, you know, someone leaves who is responsible for, you know, all of their scheduling or whatever it may be. And then things just kind of fall apart. Yeah. Lenders have maybe not tech debt per se directly, but there's process debt. There's people yeah. debt, right? Mm-hmm. A process that existed 10 years ago, designed 10 years ago, and is still in use today. Yeah. Those people went back and challenged it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw um, an article the other day. It was saying that um, loan officers signing bonuses are still at kind of record amounts, right? The amount of signing bonuses for, um, folks in the top performing loan officers and loan officer teams are as high as they've ever been. And it kind of struck me um, in two ways of, isn't the industry just repeating the same thing? Like, are we learning anything right now? Was kind of one of my takeaways. And then at the same time, it is, you know, regardless how much automation you have and how much people want to streamline this industry, the value of relationships and teams and that, you know, core blocking and tackling of business is going to be there. Yeah, it's interesting because I do believe good talent will always be expensive. Mm-hmm. That will always go up. So assuming you are hiring the best of the best, maybe yeah. it's you know maybe it's justifiable, but that's a small amount of people. So the mass is overpaying or paying mm-hmm. too much. You know, it, 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 could it be? Yeah, it, it's a repeat. I mean, we all know this business prints money when times are good, right? Yeah. Um, but when times are bad, people are scrambling. We we just got to reinvest it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a business is just not about making money, right? Mm-hmm. It's about doing, it's how you make it as well, way you treat your people, the way you do yeah. your processes. Like for us, we just try to obsess and just simply be better every day. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I, I, as a kid, I want to be a basketball player, a professional. Mm-hmm. I stopped, you know, I was 5'11 in, in sixth grade and it stopped growing. So yeah. that dream went away. But when I think back at how obsessed it was, you know, go to the next level in basketball, right? It's every little move, every little corner. Right. You, you care about every little step, every little mm-hmm. shot. So, mm-hmm. you know, as a business, I think we should uh, 
be as passionate about that as we were when we were younger, trying to be the next, you know, musician or next superstar, but, you yeah. know, sports player. For me, it was president. That was my my dream as a kid. It's still not too late. Yeah, yeah no, that's not going to happen. I don't have the hair for that. So um, you, you alluded to something um, at the beginning of the conversation about the rocket mortgage launch. And um, that com- Super Bowl commercial, I think was what, 2016, was such a watershed moment in the industry that I don't feel like gets enough attention that that was the point for me, it was the introduction of a POS, right? I don't know. I'm sure there were other things then. And then there was kind of been like an arms race since then. How have you seen lenders adapt over the years of, Hey, what is a POS? Do I even need this versus, Oh, I have to have this. Is that, has that evolved over the last six, seven years? Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Sure has. Um, Before rocket mortgage went live and splash at the Super Bowl. We we're obviously talking to the lenders. Yeah. No one understood what the heck we were trying to do. Yeah. Sounds cool. Maybe not for me. I can still do business this way. Yeah. Right. Maybe we did a poor job pitching it. Take responsibility for that. But as soon as that Super Bowl ad hit, mm-hmm. people were calling about it. I get it now, Tim. Like, okay, can we yeah. talk about that again? Sure, sure we can, right? Mm-hmm. Um and the first set of B smart customers, because you know, our class go from like application start to lights out appraisal and or not lights out appraisal lights out disclosures and a paid appraisal in about 15 20 minutes so that was our mark that we wanted to hit so our most early adopters were very tech savvy aggressive innovative type you know bank and non-bank lenders mm-hmm. then we had kind of a, a a period where we had a downgrade our application because what we learned was not everyone was ready for it, whether it was compliance, money, time, resources, whatever, mm-hmm. or they just didn't understand it or, or, or not. But that's starting to change now. Mm-hmm. And so now what we're starting to see is our most early clients who opted for the most simple product mm-hmm. are coming back now. I think I now want to automate all these things now. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. And there's other shifts as well. But yes, the buyers, the lenders or the, the first early were very gung-ho, then they kind of fizzled out. It was like kind of just like a basic 1003, right? But now they're starting to add in more bells and whistles that we've had for all these years. Um, I think it's comfort, right? Like everybody wants automation, but not everyone's willing to change their model and expectations to meet that mm-hmm. automation as Weird as that might sound. What types of things do they have to change in terms of that that automation? Letting go of some things that they're doing themselves now? Oh, I'll give you an example, right? Yeah. Um, super easy example. We run credit on every right. application. You could turn it off um, or we're going to put rules around it. Like we'll run a soft pool if, and if it meets a certain threshold, then we'll upgrade it to TriMerge, right? So there's a lot of the options that have to automate credit. Um, some clients are like, let's just turn it off completely. I don't want that efficiency gain because I don't want to pay all these credit fees. Yeah. Understandable, right? Um, but let's measure it differently. If we can automate it and we can reject, um, not decline, but, you know, reject them, right? We can put that automation, turn that into efficiencies. So you have to kind of measure it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, or you simply have to fact accept the fact that, yes, I am going to get a spike in my credit report bill, but I expect these downstream processes to go down. And if that outweighs this, I'm probably right. making We're spending more money running credit, but it's also saving us the work that we need to do. 
Yeah. And that's just one, one example, but VOIE is a really good example. Mm-hmm. You know, early on, people were like, why do I need to run in the point of sale? It's mm-hmm. too expensive. Well, now what we're starting to see is a lot of people are running in the point of sale because what we do, we'll automatically move that data into the application, move it downstream, right? Mm-hmm. And that means that the AUS and the PPE and all that eligibility has been run with validated credit, source data, mm-hmm. essentially. And that reduces time to close and, and labor from processes and underwriters. Because you already so have the $30 worth that. So to unpack that, you already have that information when it comes time to process the file. You already verified the income and that, so it saves time there. Or does it save time on spending time on files that shouldn't be going as far down the process as they are? Oh, both. Yeah. For sure, both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What we're starting to also do is you've heard these lead um, risk tools, not mm-hmm. tools, lead um, rating ranking tools, mm-hmm. which leads to you talk to first, right? Um, we're starting to move this data into some of these providers because mm-hmm. depending on the data, it's going to help drive like, okay, you just got three applications in the last hour. Who do you, which one do you look at first? Yeah. Right, who, who gets your attention first? So. Mm-hmm. No, I, I never even thought of that. So which one does get the attention first? Is it based well, off you do the, list, the lead scoring, right? Yeah. Um, so we're starting to look at different data points credit score, term to buy, completeness of the data, um, whether they initiated automation or not, right? If you have a borrower who went there, gave you your social, gave you their bank credentials, gave you permission of VOIE, right? Gave you all the secrets to their life. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty committed, mentally, right? Committed borrower. Mm-hmm. That's an opportunity to go in there like, let's give this person love first because they gave mm-hmm. me everything they needed. So looking at all of this automation, what is the loan officer going to be doing at the end of the day? What is the role of that loan officer? Um, And I think that's one thing. People tend to protect their jobs a lot, right? And I think when people see automation and the idea of things that they used to do themselves getting taken away, they get protective of it. Uh, We've we've come across that a lot. The person who maintains all of the fee templates doesn't like us because they feel like they have job security. And- I'm so glad you asked that question because it is an important one. Yeah. Uh, I'll answer it this way. You can do, you're not going to be automated out of a job. Mm -hmm. Our vision is completely different by Mm -hmm. automating the mundane repetitive tasks that anyone could do, like going down to an MI website, getting the MI, Mm -hmm. right? We can get that from Lodestar, Mm -hmm. like going to your impounds and matrix for, you know, number of months. We're going to automate that. Right. So by automating that, we're going to give you time back. And then what we expect, what we're starting to see is the loan officer row becomes less data entry and, and moving data around and, and, and task oriented becomes relationship and a trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. Right? I'd rather, would you rather spend 10 minutes collecting data or 10 minutes building rapport mm-hmm. and helping someone make a really big decision of which product to choose. Right? I think most people will say, I get paid as a loan officer well because I'm helping people make big financial decisions, right? right. Help people navigate the environment that we're in. Now, at the end of the day, I'll say, do what you want with it. And I got a really good case study. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our clients, can't mention the name, he's retired now. I'll tell you why he's retired, because he achieved a $2,800 cost to close over the last two years. Oh, wow. In 2020 2021. Mm-hmm. The margins were ridiculous. He did in two years what he couldn't do in 20 years before that. And he retired. Yeah. Each loan officer, and he didn't have many, 
Uh, each loan is close north of 100 loans, and you'll see them on Scott's guy. Wow. Um, that is the power. So he chose to take the automation and close more loans and make more money. Some people might say, hey, I just want to spend more time with my kids. I'm right. Work out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's you hit those numbers and, you know, make it make it a little, a little less sweat at the end of the day. Right. And we we see the same when folks, loan officers are running quotes on our system, punching in data. It's just not the best use of their time. At the yeah. end of the Bear day. in mind, right. This is not automating, yeah. you know, Expedia. Right. This is not a simple airline ticket. We're not going to eliminate 90% of travel agents, right? Yeah. This is simply make you more efficient so you can right. focus on the activities that drive more value to your relationship. Well, then as a consumer, too, as someone who just bought a home, when I get on the phone with a loan officer, I don't want to answer a bunch of questions about, oh, what's your income? What's your, what, like, you know, can I verify your phone number? Like going all the, like, don't collect data from me. Let's have a conversation. Like I had, when I was going through the process, I stopped conversations when I said, listen, this, I'm, I don't want to hear your spiel. That's not what I'm interested in. These are the things I need to know. This is my question. Let me get an answer. So exactly. I don't think I was most people's favorite customer, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, as consumers, right. We're also yeah. used to the on-demand environment that the Googles right. of the world have given us. Mm-hmm. We want to now. We yeah. want to fast. We want to cheap. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. And I think the younger generation needs that. Is looking for those experts and those advisors more than ever too. And I think that's one thing that people I think sometimes oh, get wrong so about the right? idea of, of automation. And anytime I see AI used in the industry in, in industry parlance, it drives me a little bit crazy because there's no real like th- the amount of actual AI that's taking place is just so minuscule that it's just like. Uh, an overused buzzword, in, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, you, you hit around the nose, especially the first time home buyer market. Yeah, they have so they can give you all the data easily. Yeah, they have yeah. way more questions. What if yeah. this? What if that? Right. That's where your mm-hmm. time should really be focused. Yeah. So, how do you see this process changing? On your your LinkedIn profile, you talk about digitizing the mortgage process. Um, how how do you see these things changing over the next few years as these trends continue? Hopefully, well, I'll tell you what we're working on here. Mm-hmm. Um, we are gunning after a seven-day mortgage close consistently across 60% of our pipeline, Jeez. our clients' pipelines. Yeah. It's not that every loan has to close in seven days, but it should at least mm-hmm. be able to. Right? Why are we rushing to the last day before closing? Yeah. Buyers and sellers stressed out. Right. Let's get it ready on Monday and just cruise and go have a nice dinner and get your keys on a Thursday. Yeah. You don't have to stress out all the way up to Wednesday. I would say because the Montgomery County tax search takes four weeks to come back. That's my first, <laughs> there that's, that's my first reason. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're getting after, right? Mm-hmm. And what that means for us is we're going to try to automate those, everything that makes sense mm-hmm. and challenge the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're leaving no rock unturned. Right. Today, our clients could go could eliminate three days off their process from you know application to a paid appraisal. Essentially, mm-hmm. we know we have a good idea what we need to do for days four, five, six, and seven, right? Mm-hmm. And again, it's about automating so we can give your time back. You're mm-hmm. not a robot. Yeah, you're a expert, right? You're a licensed expert. You provide advice, and mm-hmm. you need more time to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not sure that gave you the answer you want, Jim. But um, there, there's everything. I mean, yeah. If you look at secondary, you look at pricing, right? Fees, you look at mm-hmm. um, every, there's just so many inefficiencies. And I don't blame it because 
it's a complicated industry. Yeah. Um, and it's so wide, right? It's one of the widest industries I've ever seen. It's not just about one thing you do. It's like pre-marketing, origination, processing, all the way to mm-hmm. closing secondary markets, right? It's just such a wide industry to work on. Mm-hmm. Right. So many different aspects of it. And it, I mean, it's one of the fun things about being in it because you're learning something new every day and seeing all the different areas of the industry. But um, no, I think that's that, that was. And I learned idea. something new every day. Mm-hmm. And I left college early in my junior year to get in this business. Mm-hmm. Every day I learned something new. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy how big the industry is. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I think um, one of the things I love about it is everyone needs a place to live at the end of the day. So there's always a demand for housing in the housing industry and real estate in general. And it's just, you know, you can literally talk to anyone, anyone, anywhere about real estate in one way, shape or form. Everyone's got an opinion about real estate. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, last question I had for you. Um, what what achievement as a business leader are you most proud of? Um people for Mm -hmm. sure so when i look at our most early employees who might not have been in the industry who are junior developers at another um, company undervalued at another company right etc and to see where they're at now that makes my day at the end of the day we have a good company we're gonna be fine financially right Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that people get rewards, people develop their skill sets. If, yeah. if, I, I hope everyone stays at BeSmart forever, mm-hmm. but they won't, right? Yeah. But those that leave, if they told me at the end of the day on their exit interview, I love working here. I learned a lot. It got me ready for my next, you know, hurrah. Yeah. That would make my day. Good luck. Let yep. me know what I can do to help you. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. I think that's, you know, I can't, couldn't think of a better note to end on than that. Um, I always say I'm not passionate about calculators. I'm passionate about running a business and people. And I think that encompasses that really, really. Yeah, well. isn't it great just to see people grow? Mm-hmm. Like like we, this year alone, actually, we had like three or four employees, all younger. We have we have a bit of a younger crew. Yeah. All by the first homes mm-hmm. for the first time in their life. Actually, a couple of them were over 35. So all these years, they weren't able to buy home. They are able to do it with B-Smarty, right? Yeah. That was awesome. It was a great, great feeling. I love just seeing people go through kind of that journey of, oh, now I'm managing someone for the first time or I'm doing my first interview or, oh, it's my first performance review of someone. Oh, what do I do now? Like just seeing them kind of sweat through that and then learn and grow through that is always is always fun. Um, oh, shoot. And, I, you know, I, I, I grow too. Yeah. So I, I belong to a CEO forum with other CEOs. I'm just, I probably ask most questions in the group. Yeah. I'm just like always coming across new things. And sometimes I know I could adjust. Sometimes I don't know if I can make the leap, right? Yeah. Uh, so like even for me, I'm just constantly growing. And I love it. Yeah, same here. Well, Tim, thanks so much for coming on. This was a fun conversation. I got to cut it. I have a feeling we could probably talk for two more hours. So, Thanks, Jim. Thanks a Appreciate lot. Appreciate it. Have a good one. See you. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Lodestar's Lending Media. Please like, subscribe, and rate us five stars anywhere you get your podcast. Like to give a special thank you to the Lodestar team involved with the production of this podcast, including Elena Gardner, Tim Austin, and John Gardner.